You're listening to the Lost Art of Liner Notes, a podcast by Rumble Yard. Recently, we invited Justin Eshack from Columbia Records and Quinn 92 into our studio to talk about making Quinn's new album, The Story of Us. You're the worst at showing up two hours late like it's nothing. And I'm the worst at letting my guard down, but you still love me. All I and all our damage memories we hate they somehow relate you're the worst but it's the best that we're the worst for each other my name's justin ishak uh, i do a and r for columbia records and i'm here with quinn 92 today what's going on everybody my name is quinn 92 i'm from detroit michigan and i'm here with my Brilliant A&R, Justin uh, That's the first time anyone's ever called me brilliant. <laughs> uh, all right, well, fantastic. I mean, I think that we can start a little bit by talking about, when I talk about how I first discovered you, Yeah. the first time I heard your music was when I heard Another Day in Paradise, which was off the Change of Scenery EP, which mm-hmm. was something that you had released independently in, I forget the month, but it was sometime in 2015, correct? I think it was a- April. April a- 15, March or right? April. Yeah. April or March, I should say, yeah. So, right. like so it took me like a ago. solid eight months or so after you released that EP for me to learn about you. Yeah. Is that fair to say? It's fair. It seemed like you had been building something localized from where you went to college, and then it built from there. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I just remember when I first heard Another Day in Paradise, it just struck me. It was something that did I Did you thought, hear it before Kings of Summer? I did. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, I did. That's breaking news to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I even actually even you're learning something from I thought, actually, Kings of Summer, which we'll get to in a little bit, obviously, was the first record that you actually had heard from... No. I didn't no. know that. Wow. Yeah. So the thing is that, you know, sometimes we kind of log these things and uh-huh. say, you know, this uh-huh. is something quite good. And it's, it stands out from the crowd. Mm. You know, I think that takes us to how things moved along where you were featured on on an AOK record. Yep. who's a, uh, a childhood friend, fellow, fellow recording artist and label mate called Kings of Summer. Why don't you tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about that? It's crazy because leading up to Kings of Summer, Alex and I had made music two EPs of mine. He had executive produced two EPs of mine leading up to that song. We had just been this little duo leading up to that point. And we were in the studio just another day, you know, working together. And he was like, you know what, Mike, I want to show you a song that I think I want to put out for my own. I was like, okay, that's kind of a crazy idea because we've been doing stuff together for this whole time. But I was like, let's hear it. And it just struck a chord. It was very different. And I was like, I could see why you would want this to be your own song. It's very unique. It's very production-driven. There's a lot of intricate parts going on. I was like, this sounds great. And he was like, but if something comes natural to you, you know, let's put the mic on. Let's see if we can turn this into like an AOK featuring Quinn thing. So we just flipped the script a bit. So it's now AOK featuring Quinn, not Quinn produced by AOK. And literally the first things that I said on the record, just freestyling off my head, were jumping off the porch like mom's not home and that's the, really the tagline that's stuck with the song and that's the the catchiest part of the song now jumping off the porch like mom's not home tell me why the best things feel so wrong summer nights love them how they take so long run with the feeling of being alive while was jumping off the porch like mom's not home just a couple kids living on our own That song 
ended up going number one on Spotify's global charts, on the viral charts. It went number one on the U.S. charts. Got a lot of traction down in Dallas, Texas, where Ian Desmond. Yeah, that, and that was sort of an interesting thing because yeah. that's when a lot of this started connecting. I think yeah. you know, yeah, a big thing people like myself look at nowadays to discover new talent is they'll look at things like Shazam charts. And one of the things that we had noticed was that Kings of Summer was Shazamming high in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, and which was bizarre because usually the Shazam, the localized Shazam charts, will follow. Airplay, and here's a song that has no airplay, radio airplay, sure. in Dallas that people are shazamming, mm-hmm. and required a bit of detective work. But we realized that there was a ball player, and yeah. yeah, why don't you tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, so Ian Desmond, uh, who plays now for the Colorado Rockies, he was using the song as his walk-up song, "Kings of Summer," and people at the games were shazamming the song as it was being played when he walked up to the plate. And what's interesting is if I'm sure listeners, if you've been to a baseball game, you're not typically going to hear music. You're going to watch the baseball game clearly. And what we found so interesting was people in Dallas were just so taken back by the song itself. And like Justin just pointed out, it Shazam that like, was it number one in Dallas? Or? Well, I think around, at least around Arlington. Yeah, Arlington, the games, like the, the ballpark. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we, we saw this spike and, and I think that's what caught your guys' attention was like, yeah, I mean, it's always a combination of things, right? Mm-hmm. So now it's like, we've met you, we like you as a human being, mm-hmm. and now here's this song, and you're like, wow, this this could really be something. That if has it's rea- numbers behind yeah, it. Yeah, if, if it's reacting sort of this way from the limited exposure that it's getting in a baseball game, what if we were able to get a sort of proper sure. proper exposure, which was sort of led to a bit of an experiment, which you and I and AOK embarked on, which mm-hmm. was, let's turn this non-traditional song and try to make it a bit more of a of a traditional record. Right. And I think that's what really started our creative relationship. Right. Because right. before, uh, the previous version of the song was, you know, instrumental verses, and the only vocal that existed was in, in the chorus. Well, no, there was no verses. It was just the chorus. Yeah, exactly. And then we ended up adding the two verses to it, which right. made it more of a kind of like a more rounded out song. Right. I think we took an executive decision, kind of you and the label and, and us, and we were like, let's make this more of a rounded out track with more vocal on it what's crazy is is, and i still say this to this day is the song itself the 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 normal version has i think it's around like 20 something million plays and soon after we put the other version out with the two verses on it it quickly got right up to that on spotify and like and surpassed it so it's crazy to see how people weren't phased by the difference well we tried to i remember we creatively we tried to keep it as similar to the original as possible Mm -hmm. so we didn't Mm -hmm. try to do something where we're trying to make a three minute version of the song right. or do the let's try to get to the chorus as quickly as possible. I don't think the chorus even comes in until over a minute. Right. Which is unusual for a pop song. We we went back and forth so many times. Yeah, that, yeah I think we might have had thirty that versions was, oh of, my gosh. of that song. But yeah. but it was a lot of fun. And you know ultimately what that ended up leading to signing you and signing Alex or A. Well it's great and yeah and just to go back to that, I think it's such a blessing because he did that, I think it led him to to giving him this idea that I could be my own artist, and by doing so, I think we've just killed two birds with one stone, so to speak, and and the connections he makes in the industry now as an artist can help me and vice versa with me for him, and we can collaborate, but he can also do his own tour, and I can do mine, and it's not just some guy behind the scenes and then me on stage, you know? I think we can now sort of spearhead our own Yeah, it's such a cool story. Yeah, Um, yeah. You know, one that I'm lucky to be part of, but two childhood friends from Detroit. Sure getting signed to Columbia Records it's, at the same time. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's pretty, pretty wild. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk about then how Kings of Summer is an AOK record. Now it's time to do 
the Quinn 92 project, mm-hmm. the first Quinn 92 project through Columbia. As mentioned before, you had already released two EPs. Mm-hmm. So right away, you had the vision where you said, I don't want to release any more EPs. You know, I want to put, yeah, out, I want I want to put out a proper album. Right, right. That's been my goal, I think. When, when I first signed, I was like, you know, let's give this the proper treatment. Let's give it a, let's put out a debut album because I think that's what fans wanted and, and I think they needed at that point because I, I we had been giving them two projects only with six tracks on it and, you know, that's fine. That's 12 songs in the matter of, you know, I think it was like two years and we had always gone in like little hiatuses. We put out an EP and then we'd sort of take our time and be like, oh, great, six songs are out. We can just sit back and watch the numbers go up on SoundCloud and, you know, we've made it. And surely that wasn't the case. And once the record deal happened, I was like, you know what, this is really, it's time to put the wheels in motion and put out a project that I want to spend time on and, and give it the proper release and try to maximize it as much as possible. So with the story of us, my debut album, that was spent over a year and a half making. Some of these tracks were started more than a year ago. Tracks like One Day at a Time, for example, that was the first thing we ever did for this album, which I didn't even think was going to make the album, for example. We just went in on a session. It was me, A-OK, and then a crazy talented writer scott harris a friend of ours who does a lot of stuff for the chain smokers and yeah, i was gonna say why don't you talk about scott for yeah a second. scott scott's a great great guy great great friend just as talented writer really just like doing major things in the industry right now and jesse had a mutual friend that knew scott and scott was like i need you to put me in touch with someone who manages these guys quinn and aok because i love what they're doing at the time being naive as i was i didn't know who scott was at all i wanted to kind of find out his background and then once Jesse was like, you're going to go in the session with this dude, Scott Harris, I kind of looked up what he had done, and I saw that his background was pretty impressive with the tracks that he wrote for. Um, yeah, he reached out to us, and we made One Day at a Time, and that's one of the records on the uh, on the album. That was like a year and a half ago. And what's crazy is that one was started a year and a half ago, and we literally didn't get it done until maybe two weeks before the album I think album that was the last out. one we decided to put yep. on the album. Right. Yep. Tonight, we're saying goodbye, chain smoking cigarettes, we lie. Pretend it's alright. I say you will always be mine. Don't know what happens next. We'll find some way to get by one day at a time. So you started you started making the album basically with Alex, who had worked on your previous Were They Okay? Mm-hmm. Who had worked on the previous EPs. And then ultimately he produces two of the songs yeah. on this album. Yeah. One day at a time, as yeah. mentioned. And then a song called Walls. Walls, yeah. Walls, to give the background of it, is just kind of about how, you know, there's so many differences behind closed doors with, you see somebody on social media, for example, posting great pictures and, like, they have this great life and then behind closed doors are totally different and they're dealing with something so different and it's about this mask that people put on. I feel like not today, you know, it's just seem like they're so perfect but when you talk to them they're just, they're not that way and, and, you know, it's the whole don't judge a book by its cover type theme. See behind these walls is different You judged off these minor glimpses I'm still the same old kid you used to know Behind these walls you don't see You make up your own stories Still do the same old shit we did back home Behind these walls Back to what you were saying, it's funny that Alex, because as a listener, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're like, okay, he must be all over this album, but he's only on two tracks, and it wasn't anything intentional. Alex and I just 
as separate artists, we're just doing so much of the time in LA. And being in LA, unless you're there, you don't really realize how creative it is. And you take so many sessions as a musician and you work with so many different producers and writers. And by the time I knew it, I had like 20 songs. But I yeah. I think when you move to LA, you get just exposed to a whole slew of potential collaborators that you might mm-hmm. not have had in, in mm-hmm. Detroit where you had moved from you know, before making this album. Yeah. And the first person, was Louis School the first person that you worked with when you Louis moved? Sh- yeah. Shrewl. Is it Shrewl? Shrewl? Uh, I a, always mess his name up. He's, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's, he's the nicest guy ever. He was. We worked on, was it Straight Jacket? I think. Straight Jacket. Yeah. He produced Straight Jacket, which is, I would say, the biggest song off the album, arguably my biggest song yet. It just goes to show how my first session in LA, we, we recorded the, one of the biggest tracks I put out yet. You won't me when the feeling's all gone And I tell everyone Then the look on your face will slowly come undone Cause it was all a front And quietly I say it to your face That you will need to find another place to stay And no, you won't know me when the feeling's all gone And I tell everyone There's so much you can do in Michigan, for example. There's a ceiling, clearly. And when you go to L.A., you realize that there's so many people doing so many different things and there's so many talented people. Saying that, though, I think it's so important to stay true to what you've been doing up till that point because what Alex and I were doing was very specific. And so I didn't want to go to L.A. and make this album and compromise what we had started already. I wanted to let producers know, you know, this is the sound that I have. This is the intention I want with the album can you help me out? Can you kind of just take it to that like 2.0 stage? I think that's like the bones of the album is keeping it intact with what I wanted to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, I think that's super important. I think unless you know what you want to accomplish on an album, it'd be easy to lose sight of that. I remember you and I having a conversation. Was it in LA? Yeah, exactly. When we were sitting there, your dirty kitchen table. (laughs) Um, What's what's, what's depressing is we had just cleaned before you got there. It was still still very, very dirty. But I remember it was interesting because we started talking about the record and how it was, or the album, and how it was taking shape. And then you saying, which I thought showed a lot of maturity for someone for where you are in your career, and said, well, I know what my fans like and what they want from me. Mm. I want some songs that really represent that. Do you remember that conversation? Yeah, of course. It wasn't an objective that we needed to, you know, the album needs three radio hits or something, or it needs to sell this many copies in week one. It was never like that. It was just like, let's cater to the people that have stuck with me since day one and and give them things that, that they will like. And then with that, others will follow. And I think that's kind of a formula that we've stuck by, and it's it might take longer, but like I think that's how I want to do things. That's well, the just, two songs that came out of that conversation are two of my favorite songs in the album, and that's Don't uh, You and Always Been yeah, You. Yeah, same, same with me. Right. Yeah, and I think... And, and and it's a little different than stuff we've put out in the past yeah. uh, as far as the sound of it. But, um, uh, yeah, we talked about it. And I, and I said I, want, I think these are things that my fans will love. And, um, and those actually were produced by the same yeah, guys. Yeah, my, my friends. Uh, so Dave Von Meering, who is a part of a band that I grew up love listening to called Air, A-E-R. Now my friends, which is crazy because when I was in high school, all I listened, all I listened to was these guys. And then uh, my other buddy, Grant Yarber, um, who goes by the producer named Yoji Money, they both uh, 
have been working with me a lot lately and two of my really good friends out there in LA and they bring a really Dave is amazing on the guitar and Grant is great with like percussion and comes from more of a hip hop background and they produce Don't You and Always Been You and it's something that that vibe is just so infectious and sunny and I think like the essence of what my music is really When's the last time that you call me just to say hi look at something like like another day in paradise for example which is an older track of mine and then you compare it to like always been you still kind of similar concepts and but still there's a continuum yeah, that sort of exists exactly. in those two songs and you can easily draw a line exactly um, whereas i think you you may have creatively pushed yourself on a couple of the songs on the album mm-hmm. and, and to a different place you mm-hmm. know i think in particular the the songs you worked on with david gamson which i think are vital songs to the album yeah you know those songs being intro and, yeah, and, and worst. worst, yeah. And yeah, the Gamson thing was 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 pretty interesting. It was because it's not a pairing. I think that would sort of make obvious sense. Yeah. on the surface. Yeah, it worked though for sure. David's an older guy. Uh, I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> not older. <laughs> not older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's an old soul. Older than you. Yeah, yeah. Older than me. I'm. I'm. Yeah. Let's just say that I'm only 25. Works with. I should say worked with some of the early 2000s pop acts like Kelly Clarkson and comes from that like classic pop right. era. And he was in punk bands. Yeah, 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 punk yeah. bands. I mean, incredible, incredible keys player. So when I worked with him, he he just laid down some ideas for me, and those were the intro track to the album called Intro, and then I think it's what the third song on the album, Worst, mm-hmm. is it? Yeah, and those are two again. I love all these songs, but I mean, those are a couple of my favorites as well. Like, I think those songs are vital because they really opened up way more vulnerability, I think, for me on the album and are probably two of the more genuine and honest songs and probably the most infectious songs on the album, I would say. I'm not looking for perfect, just for somebody who holds it down when I'm hurting. Lifts me up when I lose. There will be days when I can't function. There will be nights I won't sleep. I'm not looking for perfect. Just for somebody who takes it slow. As far as intro tracks, for example, just to talk about the intro, people are always like, that song needs to be longer. It's not even that it needs to be longer, but I think people are surprised it's it is what it is because intro tracks are typically just like an interlude. It's almost like a like an ambient sound that kind of walks you into an album with very minimal lyrics but this one is more of like an actual song and i think that's what people really respect about it and like well about it started it. out that way remember it yeah. started out as a yeah. short it was song. yeah and we and we extended it because i think because we, we all really collectively liked yeah, it. yeah we were like why don't we why don't we add on to this mm-hmm. um and that's what we did and i'm so happy that we did it because i mean it added a link to the project in it as a whole but um right it just felt it felt good it felt like it needed to be longer You know, I kind of view this album sort of in different phases, mm-hmm. and I think that there's sort of the beginning phase, which was like the Louis 
the part where you're working with Louie and you're working on straitjacket and you're working on fake denim and then there's sort of that middle area where the songs we just discussed about working yeah. with David Gamson came out of being intro, slow, yeah. and worst, and then sort of the end, which is what we're talking about with Always Been You and yeah. Don't. It is phases. Yeah. It's funny how you say that. It's it's You can almost look at them as like little just like frames almost, and then each frame has its own moment, and uh, all these songs were kind of made in different points and times with different producers, and somehow all kind of come together as like this cohesive 11-track line um, and it's 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 great how that happens with music. I think that's a nice segue actually into the actual meaning of the whole album, the story of us. What I wanted to do with the album was make a project that you know, as a title, reflected who I think I am as an artist with relation to my fans and just like how I don't feel like I'm any different than my fans. And uh, we all go through the same things and the same experiences, and and whether that's good or bad or heartbreak or whatever the case may be. I realized that a lot of these tracks all came out from a very genuine and vulnerable like part of me. Where, And what I mean by that is um, I never went into these sessions with the intentions of writing what I wanted to talk about. Maybe I think 60 Seconds was the only song that on the album that I, I did because I experienced that entire day when I wrote about that. That and Tourist, I should say. So all other nine were from a very uh, honest point. I think what music does, I think me as an artist too, I, as a person in general, I never in my friend, this goes back to being, you know, friends with the people that I am back home in Michigan. We we're always like joking around with, with each other. And as guys, I don't think guys really open up with the other guys too much. And it's always kind of on the surface and people make, we poke fun at each other, but no one ever really gets too deep. And that's the classic case with my friend group. And I think through music is the only way that I'm really able to like, dig deep and talk about shit that I don't want to talk about like with you right now, for example, or if any, anybody, if, if music isn't behind it, it's hard for me to like open up, you know, music is driving my feelings to come out of me. You know, like straight jacket, for example, is about a relationship I had four or five years ago. And I walked into that session and I had no intentions of writing about my ex-girlfriend from senior year of high school, but it just came out of me through like the chords that I heard. And it's a really crazy concept how music can do that. It can dig something out of you that you don't really necessarily want to talk about Mm -hmm. but once it's out it's so liberating and it's so like it just feels good and you want to keep talking about more stuff and so that's really like another big theme of the album i've i've learned is like it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to say what's on your mind it's okay to to be honest and genuine and, and just talk about things talk about how you feel so it's funny looking back at what we wanted to go into this is like the packaged theme of the album and to now what I really think it is. I think it's so many things. I think the story of us has so many different like sides to it. I think that's what's so complicated to explain about it, but also so unique about it because there's so many sides to the coin of, of how you could describe the title. You could say it's the story of us, of how I and my fans are building together. You could say how the whole album's about a relationship, how it's about literally two people and the story of them. You could say how it's about being vulnerable you can, and, and, and being okay with being yourself. Um, it's really left for the fans' interpretation, but, I mean, it, that's kind of the nature, I think, of me as an artist. It's is kind of a contradiction. I just always sort of go in different directions, and I want to give people as many ways to interpret my songs as possible. I think that's what we definitely accomplished with the 11 tracks that we put on here. I think you certainly did. It's a very coherent body of work. You know, I always feel like it's 
it's a privilege to work with artists like yourself. Yeah. That's never lost on us. So hopefully this and is thanks a... for uh, thanks for 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 doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah. This is my my first podcast. Yeah, too, so. both uh, both getting our first pot. We could we could do this every week. I yeah. feel like um, <laughs> if that's it. Yeah, I think we're good. Flare guns go off in my head Saying not to call you this late Still I doubt those numbers every time Why do I replay those messages That you left at the tone last May Slowly wishing you were never mine Your face became all I know I tried to picture another Why are we Huge thanks to Quinn92 and Justin Eshack For being our guests you can visit QuinnXCII.com to find out more about Quinn's new album, The Story of Us, available now. This episode was produced by Lee Stimmel, Mark Grandy, Donna Shapiro, and me, Matthew Billy. The Lost Art of Liner Notes is a Rumble Yard production. Rumble Yard is a division of Sony Music. For more information, please visit RumbleYard.com. Thanks for listening. Flare guns go off in my head Saying not to call you this late Still I doubt those numbers every time Still I doubt those numbers every time Why do I replay those messages That you left at the tone last May Slowly wishing you were never mine Slowly wishing you